Welcome to Full Metal RPG. I'm Richie Buzzkill. And on this fine Sunday afternoon, as like we like to do, I've uh, helped uh, bring together... Actually, Matt came to me uh, to talk <laughs> about some stuff, and we kind of came up with a, a, a topic we'll get to eventually. Hey, Matt, or from Wedding Games, what's up? Hey, uh, not much. We're doing great. Uh, I... I... I'm from Wet Ink Games. My name's uh, Matthew Orr. Uh, I'm the creative director at Wet Ink Games. We uh, just finished a uh, funding campaign. We've got another book at the printer. We're getting ready to go to PAX Unplugged. It's a busy time. Yeah, uh, it is a busy time of year where everyone is, the, the world got busier and we also have to all work as well. So, <laughs> but glad to have you on, Matt. Uh, and then Dan, my old friend Noland, is going to be is on here. What's up, Dan? Noland, not much. Getting ready for Thanksgiving, you know. Uh, hanging out. We had finished your short mini campaign last night. Yeah, our uh, Saturday I, night game that was good. My not expanse game, uh, <laughs> Delta V. So <laughs> using old Western game. Yeah, it's got air quotes. Everybody that's on audio. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to audibly do quote unquote not the expanse. Uh, yeah, with West. Strangely enough, with Western Star Wars uh, first edition because it was the least ex, huh? least complicated space game that still gave me enough granularity <laughs> to make it work no it's fun we should talk about it at some later point that's not the topic for today yeah no that's not the topic uh matt uh can you you brought this topic and i love this topic so can you can you give me an intro to this topic uh yeah so i uh <laughs> partly because i like the show and partly because I'm interested in self-promotion, I said, hey, you got a spot? I want to talk. And Richie said, what kind of topics do you want to say? And one of them that I threw out was like the use of art in role-playing games. Like, and for me, uh, what we always say at my business partner, Brandon Aiden and I, like what we always say is that the art on the cover of your book has to be good enough that somebody wants to pick up the book. And so like, that's its job. And so that's kind of like where, and that I I work in such indie game space uh, where art is it, art is always expensive, uh, but it it's there's so many indie games that they try to not buy a good cover, not not uh, put out of the product doesn't look great sitting on the shelf. It looks fine, you know, but if you've got a great cover, somebody's going to pick up that book first. You know, when they're looking at the options that are in front of you and so that's um that's kind of like one way into the topic but of course there's lots of ways to talk about art in role-playing games especially as a maker of them uh like i am um and 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 but you know consumers of art like art itself becomes a reason to have the book if the art is good enough you know you may never play the game, but you can't get rid of that book because the art is so good. Right. You know, or something like that. It, there's a lot of ways to approach the topic, but that that's kind of the, um, that, that was the topic. Like, Hey, art in games. Like yeah. that's something that. And we, we hear I'm, I'm all uh, about. Yeah. We here at full metal RPG have always been huge art nerds. Like that's kind of like, you know, going back <laughs> to Brendan and Adam, they're both kind of artists in their own right. And they just love, I mean, we sure. all kind of fell in love with a certain aesthetic at the in the 90s and we really like the black ink kind of <laughs> aesthetic of uh, broad street and some of those guys but like all kinds of art has really brought the whole world of full, of rpgs has really been brought up quite a few notches over the years with with crowdfunding being able to afford more art for smaller games because you know, back in the day, if you had an, a, a, a heartbreaker, you know, you were just writing your own game, right? It was going to be, okay, mm -hmm. I can maybe get my brother who does a little sketch to put it on the cover, right? And that's a certain aesthetic. Well, like, I a mean, lot of people love that, like, but, old school I mean, to be fair to the, to be fair to the 
cool crowd, right? I mean, that's what D&D First Edition was. You're like, hey, this team can draw. Let, let me put this sketch in the book. Yeah, except... Don't make he, it look too much like Superman. Yeah, except he can he can trace over some images in a comic book. But that was... That was a... It was a, whole, it was a whole problem that they figured out later. Anyways... Um, well, he reskinned them after he traced them. <laughs> yeah, he did change them, but mm, there's still some problems with that. But we are not necessarily going to pick on the original D&D as much as we should. But it's more about art forward no, games. No, I just mean right? that, like it started as an indie game, which has that which had problem. Like, how do you get good art when you're just starting out in the industry? It's it's a problem that even back to the origins has been a problem. That, that's all I was trying to say. Yeah, because essentially these are textbooks. To be honest, like they're they're instruction manuals, <laughs> right? They have the that's the least sexiest yeah. version of any kind of a uh, uh, book. Except we we have seen a, a great uh, reskinning of there'll be you know the 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 innovation of the having the story in the front like the old White Wolf books did, and then having like a, an evocative cover and an evocative art brings it to a place where you're like oh no I'm attached to this thing now like even though I may or I want to own this because I'm attached to it right yeah to my mind the goals of designing a RPG book are like completely over constrained. Like there's just too many things you've got to achieve with a book, right? It's like, like RBK said, it's like a technical manual, like to teach you how to do a thing, right? It's got a whole world building piece that you got to try and like suck people into the world. It's kind of a, like you said about the cover, like it's a sales or persuasive essay kind of thing about like convince yeah. you to buy this thing. Right. And you also want it to be like a beautiful artistic object and like you're working towards like all these goals at once. But I do really think art uh, can help you move on a lot of these fronts, you know, even as much as the technical manual, like uh, people do wayfinding in these books, like they find the page they're looking for, like, oh, the, the place with the armor mm. classes is like, you know, by the picture of the dragon or whatever. Right. Uh Oh, yeah. World building, Absolutely. world building is obviously like hugely improved by, you know, illustrations of, oh, what's, you know, what's this fantastical world look like? Help me visualize it. Right. We already went over like the sales and persuasive piece of it. Uh, there's, uh, you know, just being able to pick up that cover and flip through a book and be like, oh, this is just beautiful. I got to own this, you know. And yeah. And art mm -hmm. for its own sake is another piece there. Yeah. So. I think the kind of art heavy design like is trying to square that circle of <laughs> achieving the gajillion goals that uh, an RPG book has that are just difficult to fill all at once. And art's a big uh, tool in your, uh, in your, yeah, a tool you have there to try and yeah. get all that done. Yeah. I, I wasn't even thinking of all the other things that you named, uh, uh, like I said earlier, like it's, I usually think of the cover as just like, that's your sales pitch, right? So if, if the cover gets you to pick up the book and then you put a description on the back of the book, that's sort of you, that you get like one paragraph to describe the setting and why they should own this book. And then if that does its job, then you open the book and then the art and the design in the book and the content, you know, whatever as they flip through, that's the, that's the clincher to the sales. But like the first step of that chain is getting people to stop and notice the book, um, you know, so, but yeah, it, 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 the, the book as a whole is doing all the other things that you said too, which is, yeah, it is quite a feat to, it's amazing that anyone achieves any success at all. It's very hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like, <laughs> A lot of, nowadays, like most people encounter, especially the games we all like first on like a Kickstarter page or on a mm -hmm. on some sort of web pages, like pre-ordering, backer backing it, and using that having that art ahead of time has got to be very expensive, right? It's to, but you but you don't know if you're going to be able to, you know, you you think you're going to be able to uh, pay for this. <laughs> so you're, you're laying a lot of money out of pocket to be able to attract people to just get the book made. Right. So. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, it works, it can work multiple ways. Um, our, our first 
book that we did as wet ink games uh, was basically like a bunch of favors from artist friends that Brandon had built a bunch of relationships with these artists, people that he knew were like, Hey, will you do like one piece for me and I'll pay you later, you know, if, if with the Kickstarter money. Right. And they're all like, sure, buddy, whatever, you know, I trust you to like actually through for me, even if this doesn't work out. Right. But that's, that is an unusual case because uh, Brandon had those relationships because he'd worked, they were all, um, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's not like it's a secret. Like basically every artist that was in our first book, also worked for palladium games and brandon was a big palladium games person he'd he'd gotten uh he'd spent his summers doing internships up there so like he knew all of those people and he works for them worked for palladium at gen con for years so he would hang out with artists all day long uh and so he's like hey i'm doing a new thing let me have some art uh, uh do it up front we'll pay you later and they they said yes and so like our kickstarter part of it we were able to promote the book with those images that we were able to finagle from some people through personal relationships um but yeah like once you kind of get enough success you have to pay the people up front you know which is but that's the i guess i it's um you don't have to buy everything you don't have to buy all the art up front like you can get one good cover piece or one this is what we want the game to be about kind of piece. And then the rest of it can come later when the funding comes through. Um, it, it, you could do it. it. It all depends on. Yeah. When you put in the money, right. Right. Are you paying yourself back with the Kickstarter or are you actually getting the money to buy the art with the Kickstarter? Like it, it depends on the project and trying to do. Right. And, um, like we have a we have a lot of great fans who happen to be very artistic and i i sort of have a similar uh, uh, thing you know i'm wearing my wolf mungus full metal rpg t-shirt today but like i i you know i go to them to ask be like hey man can i like buy a piece of art from you like it's it's really the t-shirts are my window in my small window into this world of buying art for a thing and uh you know it I have I've had mixed success like my my good good friends and the good fans they'll you know they'll be like yeah well I'll do it for that mount sure here's here's a piece of art you know or here I don't want I don't want you to pay me here I have a piece of art right which is which is great but also like there's this weird moment where I'm approaching someone that may not know about the know about it or is extremely busy and like I don't know what to <laughs> I don't know what to give them and I, I have a very limited budget. So if I feel like that's that very much that cover art kind of thing, it's like, I would like a piece of art from you. Would you do it for this amount? <laughs> and they may mm -hmm. say yes, but what they actually mean is no, it's weird sometimes dealing with some of these artists just randomly on the approaching them on the internet. I find it to be disheartening sometimes, but also, amazing when it comes through so <laughs> sure and of course you know artists artists got to get paid like you know we have I, they they want to get paid so you know they want to they artists want to work but they want to get paid so uh, for their work so you you have to pay them at some point um and i think that is sometimes you can leverage that like personal connection to get a piece for that you wouldn't normally be able to afford um uh, and and sometimes it's it, it's um the piece getting a yes at all is the favor like we had a piece for the cover of the box for one of our games that like uh for Zhang Shi Blood in the Banquet Hall um that cover is by Quan Chai Moria who is a legend in the like cover art for board games type industry and we did not, we were not able to call him and ask him at any price. We do not have his number, but one of the designers of the game does have his number. And so he's like, Hey, I'm going to ask Quan Chai. And Quan Chai said, yes, because of that personal connection between the designer and the, and the artist. And of course we still had to pay his price, but it was the personal connection that allowed the call to be made at all. 
which is um, sort of another level of that whole that whole thing. And that cover is amazing. If you haven't, I mean, no, I don't is, know if you're going to do like click on the links or whatever, but yeah. like cover is truly stunning. Yeah, it is a truly Just stunning cover. It is sitting on my shelf over here. Uh, it is a beautiful cover. Uh, it <laughs> is definitely that. very evocative and will definitely pull you into this interesting world of, of a Chinese family restaurant haunted by a vampire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. As it is, as is its job. That is its job. Yeah. To, to pull in that, to pull you in. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really, I mean, if it, you know, you're, you're taking, you know, cause there's like, there is that thought of like, okay, my game is amazing, right? But then I got to get somebody to look at it. And that's really kind right. of the difficulty. Um, but, and there's also like, there's things where, I mean, I think that there's a couple examples I can think of. One of your games, Never Going Home, and uh, Tales from the Loop, where the art came first, right? Where you found mm-hmm. the artist... Uh, uh, and there was the, the art, art art existed and then there was a game made for it, right? Yes. Yes. That that is what happened with the the first Never Going Home book. Yeah, and that, I think that's an interesting space because like finding you know, finding some evocative art, because you know, when you're pre- prepping for a session, this is you know what game masters have been doing since the internet existed or even just like pulling comic books off of their shelf or whatever going oh i really like this piece i'm going to use it in this in this uh space uh to show this is what i want to the players to see and i'm going to describe it but then i'm going to show them this piece and that's going to raise it right so it's Mm. the same thing where you're like you know uh so were you I'm going to I'm going to ask about never going home because like wh- sure. was uh was this like a browsing of the internet how did how did the the art kind of come to your attention as it were I'm trying to remember I can't remember exactly which came first I I know that Charles Fergus Navery who did the art for never going home he's done all the art for it so far um he is uh he was known to us already and so as soon as he started posting a series of of world war one horror pictures we were aware of it because we were already following his work um and i i can't remember how i actually met him i think i think again brandon working at the palladium booth i think charles came to charlie came to the palladium booth to say like hey i'm a new artist i i want to work for you here's some art and so we became aware of him that way because he met brandon at at that time and um quite coincidentally a book that brandon and i wrote for palladium ended up having some charlie illustrations in it but that wasn't like our decision at all but it it was sort of like one of his one of his first ends in the industry was ended up being our a book that we had written for palladium um but it was like it was it was like immediate like as soon as he started posting that world war one art those haunted gas mask eyes and the like creepy monsters in the trenches and stuff like that were like oh charlie this is a game like what is the game that goes with this thing and he's like oh i don't know i just i i thought maybe uh would do a graphic novel or something and i'm like well how about we license it right now and we're gonna start working on a game right now because this is amazing um, and his, I mean, he did a whole, after he did the, he did it as a, uh, Inktober project. So it was all original to that. And then he took those images and made a art book out of it. And so that's, it was called world war occult. And you can still buy that original art project, um, on his website, uh, is he, he's at itch feral, feral indie studios is the uh the brand that he works with uh work that's his brand that he operates under but that's um so you can still get his original art book and but then all of those images then we put in the rule book of never going home and of course we've commissioned a ton more since then that aren't in the book because we've done a bunch of books for the never going home setting but uh yeah it was immediate as far as 
like the the licensing thing was like this is a game this, there's a game here we can make a game out of these images which is maybe not how games usually get done i don't know but that's that's how we have worked a few times where we're like oh this art is amazing we will build a game around this art yeah and that that's a different even... way of approaching it right so it, it you know it's the you know you have an idea and you're like okay now i gotta find some artists right and you have finding that right artist that kind of evokes that uh that idea that you have right and then working with them to try and you know bring that idea to life because that's kind of what images inside these books do is they bring this textbook to life is uh i'm assuming it's it's a interesting process uh to uh get that kind of um get that working relationship to work out that way yeah i mean i i don't um yeah it is different uh obviously different things you work in different ways with different people and um obviously we you're licensing a, a body of art and within the case with never going home like okay so we're going to take the world war occult project and we want a bunch more in that same style which charles has been able to deliver perfectly well because he's quite capable um uh it, it's so like the his pieces that were original are like his and we can't those are but that those are the ones that set the tone originally but then like as the game's developed we can commission like more extreme versions or less extreme versions of what he was working on originally because those are then the 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 inspiration is going the other way where we're like hey we've got this these are the monsters please draw them as opposed to here's the images you make a stat block you know like it's sort of managing both directions um there's a different uh different relationship um with the artist in each case where you know I I want to I want to yeah, kind of I don't talk know if that was a great answer. No, it was a, it was a, <laughs> that was a great answer. It was Sorry. a great answer. But I, yeah. I want to go back to a, a, a kind of the great grandfathers of this kind of idea because there was the uh, the Planescape and Dark Sun boxes mm. back in the uh, late '80s and early '90s, being all the art done by one artist, uh, Brahm and and mm. Diatelli. Those to me are like the great grand <laughs> grandsires of this idea of an art art driven uh, RPG because they're just D and D box sets, right? And being an old person from that era, like just the like tonal shift from like Larry Elmore style stuff you'd seen for like years and years and years, and then suddenly this brom dark sun box says like whoa what is this <laughs> like it's totally different yeah um ch- changing a direct changing a direction of a thing so radically with an artist can even though technically if you just look at what's on the page like yes no those are radical settings but they're not particularly out of the idiom of dungeons and dragons but having that art just do a 90 degree corner <laughs> from the classical kind of fantasy art of the mid 20th century to this like more oil dark oils or even this kind of like sketch and watercolor style like that can really change the entire feel of a game right and then just be deeply devoted people to that that feet that vibe as the kids say last year or the year before <laughs> well yeah i mean i think that's 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 the whole thing like i think if you're going to come up with a new rule set or a new twist on a thing but then you get the same art like again as we've been as we've all said a couple times like that that initial blush of like what you see the art is so powerful in that for that purpose and so to at, do a radical departure uh, from the the look of the game signals that like and you, what you get inside is also going to be different um and i think that the the two can work together in that way to like you you want to give the cover that says what is in the book you know because it's doing that marketing um like you said nolan 
Yeah. So I was interested in kind of maybe popping up a level of <laughs> abstraction and uh, think about like how, when you're approaching art in a book, you know, there's been this big success of Mork Borg and similar things where it's like, it's almost an mm -hmm. art book first and a role-playing game kind of second. And I don't want to slam on anything in particular, but I think some, you know, games might have taken the wrong lesson from that, that, you know, <laughs> you don't, layout doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> well, readability doesn't matter. We just sl slap stuff everywhere. Uh, and, but how do you approach, you know, how you're going to balance the goals of art in a book? Like, uh, as you develop it, you know, what are you think? What are what's going through your head at the kind of the abstract level of just like, what are my goals here? What, because um, obviously you could have lots of artistic goals, right? So, sure. I was curious how you think through that. Are you, for for me specifically, like, uh, you know, again, Brandon and I work together uh, on a lot of this, so you know, his opinion might be slightly different, but like, um, we usually it is sort of like I think a lot of the art is for us, especially like once you get past the cover. The cover is like sort of the the most distillated most dis distillated that's not a word uh the most distilled version of what the book is trying to do right because that's the the cover is what's going to be on the kickstarter page it's what people are going to see on the shelf it's what people are going to see on drive through rpg like they're going to see the cup so, like it has to be the most evocative uh but inside i like for the art to do show a diversity of what is happening in the game so we usually have when i write out my art commissions for what I want in the book or where I'm looking for, if we're doing in a licensing situation, we're going to license this piece for this purpose. So like, I want to see like equipment. I want to see stuff fighting. I want to see uh, somebody like taking some downtime. I want to see like a couple monsters, you know, because those are the elements that are going to be in the book. So like, give me what that looks like in this game. So whether that's, um, you know, I, I know we worked with uh, an artist named Steve, who, who he wrote and did all the art for one of our books, Tenebria, the Remnant of Rome, a Remnant of Rome, which is a it's set right after the fall of the Roman Empire, and you're in Germania as like a Roman legion, but the Romans the Romans are gone. So like, what are you going to do now? Is like, you've got to build a city in the middle of nowhere and develop your own support structure and stuff like that. So we had we asked. I mean, he was drawing a ton of art. Uh, to set those evocative scenes, aqueducts and soldiers and like guys in armor and uh, barbarian type people. But then we were like, okay, so, but we also need to see like somebody injured because there's going to be a page that talks about how you recover from injury and what happens if your character dies. So he drew like a graveyard uh, for that page. And again, fitting the images to the uh, he did like a, a group not a group portrait but like a bunch of people standing in a crowd as like that was on the character creation page because you're going to be again like that's the art that goes with that page is like seeing a bunch of different people and then across from it is like now create your own character you know it, it is sort of like that's the needs of the book because it does it's it's like you were saying uh richie with the with the the textbook nature of it it's like that reinforcement right so like you're going to have the character, the group of characters is going to be on the page with character creation. And that's because that's what makes sense. That's what it is. It's, or you're going to have the healing, the picture of the injured character on the healing page again, because that's what goes together in, in the layout. Yeah. And that's the, you're, you're creating these landmarks. Like what Nolan was saying is like, this is mm -hmm. the page about health. It's got a guy with a wound or a bandage over a wound or something like that that like is is very evocative of that subject that brings your you're like, oh, yeah, that's the page we need to get to. And that's where like a lot of times I kind of rag on PDFs a lot because I mean, I, I would be lost without my tablet, but like for all the PDFs, but like flipping through a book quickly, you can go, oh, that's the injury page, right? you know whatever that piece of art is if it's evocative of the of the subject of the page it makes it so much quicker to find that page 
But to uh, Nolan's uh, point about the, yes, I believe that uh, there are masters of the art book as RPG book. There are masters of the subject like, uh, you know, Morkborg and Cyborg and, and, and those, uh, from the, those games. Yeah, I definitely didn't mean to slam on them. But, but they're masters. Some of the imitators. (laughs) But the imitators, the people that are making books for these subjects, they, yes, you can do this thing where you have this sloppy layout, but you're, you have to be kind of a master to get loose with something, right? It's, uh, if you're, you know, if you're not not a master, but like a, a, a well cr- good in your craft, you, ha- to you have get to get sl- sloppy, right? You you have to know the rules before you can break the rules. Right, I think is another way to it, it, an often said thing that communicates that same idea. And any piece of art, right, or any art is like that. Like once you learn composition and colors and how to lay out a thing or take a photograph such that the horizon is in the lower third or the upper third in order to see the, the whether you're seeing so much sky or so much land uh, to make it evocative of a certain place in a certain time, then you can go, oh, yeah, no, I want the landscape to be tilted because there's this weird uh, mine that's a being it's mined but the mine is kind of at this weird angle so that's the subject of this picture you have to 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 be to do that kind of layout to do that kind of uh art in a book where you've got like whoever did the dread cover is someone it's per, it doesn't work unless you like look at it in person because it's just a bloody thumbprint on the cover that says dread until you see the back of the book and then you go, wait a minute. If I grab this with my left hand, my hand is literally leaving a bloody handprint is one of my favorite covers of all time because, but it doesn't work now because that's just not how you would sell the game unless you put like a bloody handprint on as like your thing on your Kickstarter. Right. But it, it worked for that time and place because the first place you're going to inter- find that is either on the indie indie rep press revolution uh, thing at, at Gen Con, or you're going to find it at some bookstore and you're going to pull it off the shelf and you're going to go, Oh wait, this is amazing. Right. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm looking for a picture and I got a lot of irrelevant 2080. Yeah. There you go. Here. I, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. There's the, it's got a thumbprint right there, and then so and then you just grab oh, it yeah. with your left hand. Yeah, if you pick it up, it looks like yeah, you've left a bloody handprint on it, and it's yeah, yeah. It it doesn't work as a PDF. <laughs> it just <laughs> doesn't. So that's the kind of thing, that right? You... And and that's good. No, no, you can finish. I was jumping in. It's an exciting topic. Yeah. So <laughs> that ahead. that's the thing you got to. Th- I feel like people need to think about if they're going to do one of these art books, right? Is it has to work as a PDF and it has to work because mm. when you're doing all these colors, these weird colors in the background and like never put a texture behind a, a, a thing of text because it literally will, it works on the screen because you're backlit. But when you print it out, like it, it obscures because there's so much visual noise on it. You can't, this is a huge, this was a huge uh, flaw in a lot of nineties books is people would put, would have a texture over the entire, cause they learned the wrong lesson from white wolf games where they had like a border and some textures, very light textures in the background where a lot of people just put a straight texture in the background and you would just not be able to read the black text over the gray <laughs> texture kind of thing. So that's kind of where I was going well, with that. I, and I, I think one thing that what you've just said, I completely agree uh, with what you're talking about. And what it makes me think of is sort of like the different, it, it's almost like, um, it, and I, I don't know that anyone has, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe people have, but like um, I can think of maybe some side examples, but what I, what I'm thinking of is like, it is sort of like the, you know, the, the, the internet was supposed to eliminate books, but it totally hasn't. But one of the responses has been that like books have become these art objects so that like, you're talking about the bloody handprint or even, you know, a copy of, of Morkborg, 
Like it is, it is an art object in and of itself, separate from any other use that the book may have. Um, and that is sort of like prestige books in that way that like they are valuable products to experience in the real world because so much of our world is digital screens and, 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 and you don't get that textile or you don't get that textual interaction tech, you know? Yeah. I mean, no, that, that's that, a Bluebeard's Bride. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, Bluebeard's but, but Bride it, and, and, and all those games they have, you cannot experience them because in unless you're holding them in person because they've got like silver leaf or gold leaf or some kind of like holographic right. thing going on or the texture of the paper. I mean, it is very bibliophile, right? It's very much like playing into the problem of like, you know, I have a giant thing of books behind me, right? It's like my, my bookshelf is overflowing with all these books because I love these kind of books, but realistically I should just have everything on a tablet. <laughs> Right. Like, you know, well, yeah, but I mean, I, I'm sure my shelf is, is over that way. So I can't point to it, but like, yeah, it is, it, it books are, there is a certain amount of like, this is good enough that I want to have it in the real world, not just in digital, uh, but, and so there's a whole other train that we can get on and go down on that and that kind of thing. But like to, talking about the layout stuff, um, there's almost like there's an opera it's like opportunities to but it's stuff you have to think about like yeah it, like certain pages become unreadable because you want to do a crazy layout but if you're in the digital but digital also lets you kind of it, it it's a different product so it has to be customized in a different way um or can be customized in a different way you can make a pdf that does all kinds of things um that changes the readability of the text or that has slider bars and options. I mean, it's a digital program. You can, you can do stuff with it that you can't do with a book and it's a different medium in that respect. And so you get the bloody handprint that fits your hand when you're holding the book in real life. But then in the digital realm, I can't read this font. I'm going to change the font, I select options, change font to this thing. And now I can reread the book, you know, because it's a different, it offers you different things you're effectively producing multiple products in that, that case, rather than just printing out a PDF or digitizing a book, you know, it is, there are different mediums that, that can be designed to be used optimally in different ways. Well, um, and it's really about the, so. you know, the, the inclusive, inclusive and, 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 uh, I'm trying to think of the word and I'm failing, uh, but the ability to adjust to disability, accessibility, accessibility like, yes. The accessibility mm -hmm. of the product, yeah. right? Some some PDFs can allow, you know, if you do your PDF right, you can make it so a screen reader can read it to someone and have it so that the text is selectable so that the, because you can make a PDF that's just literally image after image after image, and it's a very flat thing but it becomes not very mm -hmm. useful, right? You can't search it, right? The ability to have the ability to search something at the table, so you can be like, oh wait, a uh, wound counter, uh, you know, thing, and it just comes up, oh, it's on page 35, right? Is an amazing right. uh, ability, but, you know, when you're dealing, sometimes screens can make things harder to read because the way the contrast or whatever the colors where that's where a book comes in handy is you're able to have this thing and, you know, have it in a good light and not backlit. So you can actually see something. Um, yeah. It, it, it makes me think of uh, uh, it's like the like comic books come up uh, this way where it's like, what is the real version of the comic book? Right. So like the real version of the comic book, especially back in the days before digital first and stuff like that the real version of the comic book was the one that was printed in those four colors of ink and sent out to people on newsprint like that's the and so the art doesn't look like that even if it's drawn by jack kirby himself it doesn't look quote unquote right because it's not printed on newsprint by a four color ink process you know like that is and so like it's a similar that's a hyperbolic example, whatever. But I'm bringing in that idea that like, what is the real item that you're really making? 
are you making a printed book? Are you making a searchable PDF? Like, what is the real RPG in that case? You know, because it it isn't optimized. It, you can only optimize it for one format. You know, so what? Wh where is it the real thing? Yeah, um, when you're releasing with... in multiple media, you're definitely facing that challenge of you know, am I taking all the time in the world to optimize each one for each separate, or am I doing? Am I actually going to finish this project and <laughs> choose one to optimize for? <laughs> yeah i mean it's the same thing where right, i mean that's uh, the challenge I'm, I'm doing this show is released in audio form and in a video form and it turns out when i started doing video i can't do all of the um uh's cuts out right because it would look weird <laughs> and it really helped me shorten my process cycle time so figuring out which one you're going to optimize to hey, bonus. it is a it was a definite bonus let me tell you uh because i'm no longer <laughs> begging for an editor <laughs> uh but i feel like that's the same thing with like i mean as my bookshelves become more and more overflowing like i tend to maybe start looking well can i just do with the pdf on this on this uh product or not and so that's, yeah, you're right. It's a completely different different product uh, from a usability standpoint, for sure. So yeah. since this is Full Metal RPG, mm -hmm. uh, can I drag us out into the deep water for a of minute? Of course, of course. <laughs> all right. Um, so we talked about like all the value of art in terms of like instrumental use, like okay, it helps us find our place. It helps us sell our book. It, you know, it helps us do all these, you know, it has these functional uses and real life uh, and how we use our RPG. But is there an intrinsic value of art, like art for art's sake in an RPG? What is, what is its purpose rather than like mm. these goals it can achieve for us? And I get this is weird philosophy thing, but that this is full metal RPG. Let's go out into the deep water for at least a few minutes. Yeah, I think I think that there is an intrinsic value to it because I mean, like, just think about like all that art that was lost in the '80s when they shut down TSR, like, or '90s when they shut down TSR. There was just whole swaths of art that they kept everything. And then there was just like thrown away. And those pieces now go for tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Uh, but there's also the intrinsic value of just sparking the imagination because that's all this manual and all this art. It, it really is about in, uh, sparking the imagination of the players. That includes the GM because the GM is a player. Thank you very much. Anyways, there's my soapbox for the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. Like, yeah, I definitely think art in an RPG can make you feel something. And I think that's, you know, if art's for anything, it's, you know, to make you feel or notice something. And, you know, when you pick up Bluebeard's Bride or, uh, you know, you know, Thousand-Year-Old Vampire or all these different, you know, beautiful art books, and they, you know, match the theme, the of what they're trying to achieve artistically to the visual art in the thing, you know, it, it brings you in, it makes you feel something. I, I think it's valuable. I think it has its own intrinsic purpose. I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, go I pulled up some books here that, that, uh, that I think have, showcase like exactly what you're talking about like bring you in the system and and when you say like what is is there any of the art that is inherently valuable like there's a, a book i have here that uh it's called wayfaring strange it if you can see on the video here it is like roadmap size like triptych layout size uh which is an unusual choice for a role-playing game but very much apt because what it's about is about like traveling the spooky roads in the back roads of the United States. And like, well, you're I mean, a magical being. And so you're, you're hiding out in all of those things. Uh, you know, you're hiding out in truck stops and stuff like that. And it's got these uh, photo manipulated 
and I don't know how well it's going to come through on any sort of video, but they look almost like woodcuts, but they're like the, the writer of the book is also the person who did all this photo manipulation stuff. And like, they've put together this matching thing where it's like, here's a picture of a bunch of diners and roadways and people you might meet on the road in this travel guide to the setting. And it, it perfectly matches. Uh, it's it, it, very evocative, very evocative. Like, you know what this game is about literally as soon as you flip through it, you're like, Oh yeah, I get it. I yeah. get the tone. I know yeah. what it's about. It's got a v- it looks great. Yeah. It's got a VW bus on the cover. The, the, the logo looks very much yeah. like a old diner off the route 66 or something yeah. logo or, a, or a, or a, or a hotel or something. Yeah. A yeah. Hotel. Um, I, I picked up a game called torque, which is like, it's in the shape of an old, uh, car manual. It's got that same size and shape of a car manual, and it's about like this uh, post-apocalyptic uh, uh, racing league. Uh, and it's you know it's faded. It looks very much like you know you you just p- pulled a car out of a barn and you pulled this manual out of the glove box kind of thing. So there's this like. Uh, kind of like what apple used to do where they ever the icon looked like a record right or the you know there there is this <laughs> philosophy of making the book look like an object from that world or or invoking that world to this point where it could have come from it right oh yeah i mean that's a whole other thing like i uh definitely i subscribe to that like i always want like uh you know obviously i know my own game's best but like yeah like never going home is it's got like a paper texture printed inside and it's like watermarked and dog-eared are like they're just part of the what is printed on the page so that when you look at it it looks like someone's old journal from the war in which they drew these sketches of these monsters in i mean it it's not like we didn't go to like thousand year old vampire levels of that kind of stuff, but that is what we were trying to evoke a little bit of that, that like uh, it, it is an object from the world. It is a soldier from the war in which these monsters were described. These things were seen, um, you know, so yeah, it is a whole, that's almost, that brings in like the layout artist and a, a whole other set of talents other than just like commissioning, Hey, give me a, a, you know, four inch by six inch thing at, you know, 140 or a, a four, 450 DPI and, you know, the, whatever. It, it's a whole other, putting it all together is a whole other skill. Right. Because there, there are many artisans that put together these books that we love, right? There's the, the ones that are most read it, read it, uh, the writer and the artists on the cover, but there's the layout artist. There's the, the people that do the, uh, indexes, the, the, and there's an art to a good index. There's an art to making sure that the, sure. the, the column spacing and the, everything is very readable. Like if you've ever like written a thing and then tried to, Oh, I'm just going to throw this in a two column layout and then tried to read it. It's terrible. It's so goddamn terrible. Let me tell you, <laughs> as as uh, as Nolan and I have actually participated in some uh, some uh, uh, yeah, you know, indie game jam indie game thing. jam things. Trying to do the layout was kind of like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out this is a lot of work and it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's like this looks like garbage. Oh crap. <laughs> so yeah, I've. I've got another one here that yeah. is in two column, but it is broken up by a lot of like tables and like side boxes and pieces of art. So, you know, it is, it, yeah, just two columns forever is not, not going to win, but uh, it, it could work out. Okay. Well, what, what were you holding? I don't, I don't know what you were holding. Oh, oh, I, it's this other one capers uh, oh. by Nerdburger games is another one is the one I was holding up, but it, it's got, it is, laid out at two columns you were dragging on two columns so i thought I'd well check. no i, so like, I like know, a two it, column it, but you've got to do it just right or otherwise it doesn't yeah. work right so <laughs> there's, there's an there's art like to two columns there's yeah. like a there's a portrait on like three of yeah. these in this spread of four columns there's three of them have character portraits in them so it, it's not just block of text after block of text 
Right. And you know, this is the page I was looking at. You've got like an illustration, you got like a over here, you got like a list with, that's bulleted, and then you've got these section headers that break it all up. So, you know, right. it's it it's very readable. Right. But yeah, it's an art to get to that point, you know. It's definitely of, an art. <laughs> It turns out the human eye gets really tired after looking at the exact, doing the exact same pattern for so long. And that's why you need break, things that break up. And that's part of what art's job is to like break up the picture, Absolutely. the page so that you get Absolutely. something evocative, evocative to look at it, but it breaks up the page. So you're <laughs> not just looking at a wall of text. So we have a friend that, he dealt with someone uh, a per and you know it's someone on the internet right like so who knows whether this person was you know it, it was someone on the internet there's always people on the internet they're going to be upset about stuff but he wanted to get like a discounted version of this guy's book with no art like i don't need the art just send me a can i get a cheaper pdf that doesn't have the art in it and it was like no no i'm not going to do a new layout for you that takes the art out and then sell it to you for less like that is ridiculous and yeah but yeah, look anyway he could just the art is the game <laughs> yes effectively there are games where they sh they're not really much of a game without the art like just like some of these small zines where there's not much in here but the art is just like you've got like five or six pieces of really evocative art with just like a very small game that could i mean a lot of games could just fit on up on an index card right it's just that's the index card but there's also the the you know fictional art the the writing of fiction that belongs in the world like mm. i can think of a book uh baron munchausen is a piece of art because it's written like yeah, a it the it really is the tick the t titular character is telling you the whole game fits in like six lines of text like it's there's nothing to that game, but the object, yeah. the, the book is so amazing that you're willing to read it. It's the same thing with Apocalypse World, like Apocalypse World. I love the black and white art in Apocalypse World, but uh, Vincent and McGay's Bakers, they, they they have this evocative writing. And I know this is a, it's a very uh, polarizing opinion, but I love the fact that they're swearing through the entire thing they're telling you how it is and what it, you know but leaving those empty spaces to let you play in it really does if you read that book and not just go oh this is how this world it it really tells you about the world in a in a very different way as well as the black and white art yeah i mean that is I mentioned like how we've tried to make the never going home look like the soldier's journal, but that what you're just describing is like, that's like ambition, right? We've never, I've never worked on a book that we've gone to that level with where it's like, no, no, no. The, the entire book really is a object from the world, including like the voice of the character, you know, like the, the there's like a narrator there, there's not this omniscient textbook narration. It is like, you know, you know, what's up? cheese bags i'm here in the, the bunker on day 79 you know like you know like whatever like th to make the rule book that way would be amazing like th that yeah, would be I mean, a whole other level of integrating yeah it's an artistic choice and yeah like i mean i can see the pros and the cons like you know you are balancing those goals of you know uh balancing those goals of uh teaching people the game versus having this artistic voice and you know, like you got to find a middle somewhere. And yeah, I don't begrudge anybody for making an artistic choice that puts them any place on that spectrum, right? <laughs> like, they, right. You, you've got both artistic we always, goals, right? Yeah. Yeah. So far, most of our books break off like any of those sort of like in-world pieces as like this is set aside and clearly separate from like the text of the game. In italics or whatever. Um, <laughs> Right, because to integrate it fully or commit to the bit, it so to speak, uh, that that takes it takes a lot of commitment. I mean, it's not really like the only book I can think of that's totally like that. Like even Apocalypse World breaks from it as you read it, right? But like 
The only Baron Munchausen is probably the only book I can think of. I'm sure there are other books that are like that. And there are books that are from the world that aren't really game books, like The Book of Nod or from uh, White Wolf. You know, those there are books that are from the world that are fictional. That yeah, they aren't really a rule book in that case. They're well, like a fiction edition for the world. Yeah. Right. And that would be the art. It's like a total art book from, you know, that that sort of perspective of like, oh, but to integrate rules into that idea is very, very difficult to get that right. And and I totally understand why that's a very rare thing. And it, but it's very interesting when you run across like those like somebody's telling you a first person narrative is like bringing you through the world or even just those evocative stories that are in the front of the books kind of in that white wolf tradition of like you read the book the story out of the front of the vampire the masquerade book and it's just like you immediately get this world in a few pages right and then you go on to like go through this manual that has all this other art in it the only other thing I can think of that incorporates those um, the rules as like fiction is like some of the weird uh, witchy kind of things that set out the whole game as a you know as a occult ritual or something that you're all gonna like gather in a place and do a thing. Mm. Those kind of you know they use the frame of the ritual of magic ritual as a kind of uh, to you know rituals have rules games have rules right and it all goes back to the whole like yeah magic circle and so forth uh yeah 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 i was gonna say this is the magic circle argument yeah yeah this is the magic circle <laughs> argument. yes exactly <laughs> i don't know if i buy the magic circle argument but yes uh it's worth it's it's interesting um yeah uh and so they kind of uh kind of frame it as a ritual that is also a game so in that way they're kind of in they're kind of they get to have that they get to have their cake and eat it too and like have that overlap of uh you know oh you're doing this ritual and there are rules to this ritual which just just so happen to be the rules to the game you know <laughs> but right, yeah right. it is really tricky i think to do both the casting stones will show a one two three four five or six <laughs> right. cast the stones in the circle yeah i think i think sometimes that kind of stuff can go a little too far up its own rear kind of thing like it's a little too because you know I get it. Like, there's this very much like this, like, you can make this, like, very atmospheric thing, but sometimes, but you can go too far, and it's like, well, I don't think I'll ever play this game, because I can't, like, figure out what, you know, I can never live up to this thing, right? It's uh, kind of, it, it, it's um, going back to Bluebeard's Bride. It wasn't until I played Bluebeard's Bride that I think I could actually run it, being the subject matter of the game being so far outside of my uh, element of experience. But once you actually play it, it's like, oh, yes, no, I can I can understand how I can do this thing. So you have to make an accessible object is <laughs> really kind of where this kind of all breaks down to. Um, so, all right. Sure. Well, uh, I go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to talk about. I mean, we have we have gone off off the rails a bit. Uh, uh, I was wanted to mention a game called Verd Verdure by Shereng Biswas, and it's what is it? It's eight pages here, but it's a talking about the magic circle thing. It is a you make a salad, but you kind of choose as you're choosing your ingredients what they all represent and then this it instructs you to like cut certain things up and mix certain things together and then like you basically have to like eat the mess that you've made uh as symbolically eat the mess that you've made in the social situation by like the choices you've made about how you cut up this and it's like it's like oh wow that was an experience it's like a solo <laughs> right. game that you play in like 15 minutes while you make a salad and it was like Wow, this was a very this 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 is a departure from uh, anything else I have experienced. But uh, yeah. it was it was, I I was like, very, very I see what you've done here. Well done. Yeah, I'm going to have well to done. read that. I've never even heard of that. So if you can spell that out to me later, <laughs> we'll, I'll put uh, a link in the show notes, yeah, and uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll give it give it some airtime because that sounds amazingly weird. <laughs> 
V V E R D U R E. Okay. Um, and I, it's probably it's probably on itch. I'll find the link. Oh, it's most assuredly on itch. Let me just, if I had to yeah, guess, it's, itch, it's definitely an itch style game. Yeah, yeah. We. Um, so, what were you going to say before I? Well, I was to, just that I told you about the salad eating game. The well, what I was going to basically go is like we're kind of uh, we're kind of at an hour here, so I wanted to ask you guys if there was any closing thoughts before I do the whole podcasty hand wavy and end credits kind of thing. So. We could talk, start with Matt. If you do, you have anything uh, else you'd like to say, or even you know promote your stuff I, as you were as it were. So, sure, I will give. I, I had I collected my books here in a stack, and so I've mentioned Capers from Nerdburger Games. I mentioned Wayfaring Strange from Drowning Moon Studios, uh, and I have two more here that I haven't actually mentioned yet, but I that I think have achieved great artness. One is Shanty Hunters. Tristan Zimmerman and Molten Sulphur Press. He used historical, other than the cover, he used like uh, historic art, like uh, woodcuts from like the Age of Sail and stuff like that to depict his Age of Sail shanty collecting, a supernatural shanty collecting game. Oh, and that's Uh, And then the other one that I have to mention. Out of copyright. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, sure. that's yes, nice. he licensed yeah. the cover from a modern artist, and then the other was all public domain. But it was nice, nice, it's nice. Uh, we didn't even talk about that kind of like the craft in that. It's a whole other craft, choosing the right image in that way. And the last one that I want to mention is this game called Brave Zenith, which is Soul Muppet Publishing, I think is who published it. Uh and it is uh, it is so quirky. It is it is the most it, it it is just the most of everything. Like here's a this it's this very cartoony style, uh, but the choices every choice made in the game is so ridiculous. There are only three. It's it's very like D and D light a little bit, but the three races are humans, cats, and jelly people. <laughs> and then the six the six character classes include like dancer and mixologist, who's like basically making potions. Um, uh, so it's it's like it is it is the wild game and the art is just as why i mean it's like i don't even know it's a cartoon and you it's great so those are the other two that i had to recommend uh that are games that use art extremely well all those are those two so yeah uh you can find art stuff about my company wedding games and the way we use art on our instagram that's why we created our instagram uh, at wedding games wet ink games uh sometimes it we end up sounding like wedding games but it is not it's wet ink uh games um and that's at instagram and and we're on facebook and wetinkgames.com is our website so you can see all of the art there we 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 like the art and our artists and we promote them as much as we can uh so that's where you can see more from us and our most recent kickstarter was called home uh you can search that on kickstarter as well uh also has great art very nice. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, did you have any more points you'd like to make, uh, Dan? Uh, no, I just not nothing significant. You know, I just say you know, RBK and I are both from like technical backgrounds, and so sometimes we slice and dice things, uh, you know, kind of analytically. But like art is super important to the human experience, and you know, uh, we do value it. And uh, yeah, we think it's amazing. Uh, it's a good. I'm glad we had this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I feel weird if I don't make my terrible art in some way, whatever art that is, because even though I do do technical work all day, there's something that the human mind needs a little creativity every, every day to make it uh, work. And I feel like this outlet of RPGs is an amazing place to do that. Whether you're an artist to make art for the covers of these games or you're just you're just having some chuckles with your friends at the table rolling some dice. So I really appreciate uh, you guys coming on and talking art with me because I could probably do the whole show about art. We could just like get crazy, <laughs> break down every game about which art is works and what layout works and all that stuff. So really appreciate that. Oh yeah. Uh, you'll find uh, find the rest of this uh, podcast fullmetalrpg.com or our link tree fullmetalrpg uh, and uh, you know, you can check out some of the art that I've got up on the t-shirt 
sales uh, through the link tray. You can go to go to that. So I really appreciate you. And I especially appreciate you if you're a patron uh, of the show. Without you, we would not near not nearly be as motivated nor get through those creative slumps that every art goes through. So thank you very much. Have a good night. Rah! <laughs>